0: The Short Game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Regan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my one and only bro host... It's me, your brother, Shane. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Shane. And this week we are talking about Death's Door. Death's Door. This is arguably a bird game. I'm so glad that we didn't cover this as part of Bird Week, that we could really spend a lot of time with it. You know, honestly, like, I was was very torn. Uh, When I first saw the trailer for this, which if you haven't seen the trailer, this game prominently features as its main character a little tiny crow hoisting around a gigantic sword, um, and it's great, and my first thought was bird content, um, and I thought maybe you know once this comes out, we need to, uh, uh, to save it for bird week, but um, it also seemed really up my alley, and the more I thought about it, the more I just wanted to play it and see if it would be good for the show, and we did get advanced access uh, from the publisher, uh, and so I was really excited to jump on this one and give it a try. Uh, Shane and I have both played it. We played on PC. This game is a PC and Xbox exclusive uh, published by Devolver Digital, and its developer, uh, Acid Nerve, uh, is known for their previous game, Titan Souls. Shane, have you ever played Titan Souls? No, I did not. I didn't play Titan Souls. Did you? So, yeah, I've booted it up. I, I didn't get very far with it. This really feels a bit like an evolution of that game. So, just to set a little bit of a scene for Titan Souls, if you haven't checked that one out, uh, it is well, it's got the sort of standard indie game, uh, you know, uh, uh, pixel art aesthetic. Well, not it's actually not that standard. It's actually quite a quite a unique pixel art aesthetic. But it is a pixel art game, uh, top down uh with a sort of a Zelda-esque sort of feel similar to this in that they're both top-down games with a sort of a Zelda-esque feel but that game was very laser focused on bosses And by top-down games with a sort of Zelda-esque feel, you just mean adventure games? Well, I don't know. I don't I don't like I don't like adventure games as the name for that because when you say adventure games people think you're thinking of or talking about point and click games, you know, like point and click adventure games, but I mean action adventure maybe? Yes. Action adventure, action RPG, Maybe sure. Yeah. Uh, but Titan souls was v- very, 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 very hard. I didn't get very far with it at all. And a big part of its design was that you're walking through these very bleak, empty worlds with no enemies to make it or very few to make it back. to I don't remember. It's been a while, uh, to make it back to your bosses. And also it was one hit kills. So you would go fight a boss, get a one hit kill immediately, And then spend a good minute or two or three walking back to the boss, uh, try to avoid that death and find you encountered another one, repeat and repeat. Um, That's not to say it didn't, it was very successful. It found an audience, people really liked that game. Um, I was not really among them, but I think that might just have been because, I don't know, I kind of bounced off of its early game um, before really kind of wrapping my head around its combat. But it was clearly a very popular game with a little bit of the name kind of implies Dark Souls influence, but maybe also more a little on the Legend of Zelda side. Anyway, that said, that came out in 2015. And since then, they've been working on Death's Door, which is a sort of a level up in every way on every axis. This game is very large. Uh, We'll talk about this in a minute, but I thought it was going to be a little shorter than it actually was. Uh, We've done this a couple of times in the last few episodes. It's starting to be a common refrain on some of our episodes, you know. Uh, Why did I think this was a short game is a question (laughs) that I ask myself. Yeah. But uh, this is, you know, we. (laughs) this is our podcast. We can put games of any length and define them as hashtag short games if we want to. Yeah, so... And this game has a lot of things that appeal to me, uh, and so I guess also to the short game because I am the short game. I I hold the keys. Um, it has a uh, it has a you know, really engaging top down combat feel. We'll talk about the combat a little in a little bit, but it also has a really really neat aesthetic and kind of world vibe that was that really drew me in. So uh, maybe we should start by talking about the sort of... Because it's the thing that probably drew me in the most, just based on the trailer, I wanted to play this game. Maybe we should start by talking about the vibes in the world before we dive deep on the combat. Mm -hmm. So it it starts off with a really cool scene of like just this very... Photographs very well uh, to have a black bird in a black and white world that is like kind of grim and gray. And that's your initial aesthetic. And I, I think that's... Like getting off of a bus and going into an office building, uh, is this this little black and white, glowing eyed crow, and it's a very cool first scene. And um, the gameplay once you get into it, outside of that office building, is a kind of a Zelda esque world with kind of cool animation and really interesting character design. What, what did you think about the overall vibe? Kind of you compared this to Hyperlight Drifter. I totally don't. Well, except for the fact that the sword is like kind of a little bit glowing. It's not really a hyperlight drifter thing to me, but well, the visuals don't really strike a, a hyperlight drifter note at all. I think it's very much more going for a sort of like a, a top-down Zelda vibe with the visuals, but it's got a really nice polished look, um, the really beautifully done 3D animated characters. But I think what really draws drew me in initially was that it's got this juxtaposition of these very cute character designs. The main character is this extremely cute. Uh, crow who has this sort of crow like movements. You know, he's got the little pitter pat walk with the tiny little short legs. Um, when he swipes his sword, he's swinging it with a wing. You know, he has a very bird like head movement when he, when you see animations that involve that. So very cute central main character, but in an extremely bleak world. So like you mentioned, he starts off kind of going into the office and the office is this weird, Sort of decrepit world of sort of floating office floors suspended in a void, full of mysterious doors, uh, and uh, it. This is a game with dialogue, so you get explained to you pretty quickly that you know you are in. The, this is a world in which crows serve as reapers, uh, who reap the souls of the dead, uh, but this is also a world in which for some reason nothing has died for centuries and so the uh the job of being a reaper has sort of fallen into uh boredom and disrepair um and the world has gone wild and so these you know the the, the world outside the doors uh, you know, the these reapers, they work for the Lord of Doors who uh who sends them out in the world to reap souls, presumably. You know, they haven't been doing anything for centuries uh because of a sort of an unspecified, mysterious circumstance in the world. And the story begins once you kind of roll into your office with you being tasked with reaping a soul for the first time in ages. And that initial job is both a tutorial and kind of the, the inciting incident for the, the overall structure of the story. You know, they they send you out into a world that's a sort of a little miniature, uh, like garden labyrinth kind of zone. And you try to, to kill this creature that looks sort of like a weird overgrown plant monster, but it escapes you. Uh, you don't reap that soul. And in this world, uh, the the reapers, the crows, live forever in their void. That is their office building. But when they're out in the world, they age. They, you know, they eventually die. And because you now have a a job to do, which is reap that particular soul, and you didn't bring it home, uh, you can't come home. Truly, you have to keep going and get it. Or you know, or you have to you have to be stuck out there and eventually age and die. And so then the rest of the game is sort of exploring this world that has this sort of hub and spoke structure, trying to navigate this extremely complicated labyrinth of a world uh, in order to ultimately reap the soul you were originally sent out to get. But along the way, reaping many many zillions of uh, little individual souls of. Of little baddies plus a big three set of big what it calls giant souls which are these big bosses of these zones yeah and i i I played this game just to give you guys a size perspective here i I think i played it for about eight hours or so and i've gotten to one of those souls so uh oh yeah i I definitely (laughs) got lost a lot but <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably a little on the extreme side. Although you know, certainly there is room for getting lost on this. Yeah, I'm f- currently very lost in the game. Yeah, I've I've currently uh, so neither of us has completed this game. We're playing it uh, with you know an early release. Uh, and it turned out to be a little longer than what we're used to. I've played about 12 hours of this game uh, and I have gotten two of the three souls and I'm fight of the three giant souls and I'm fighting the third. Uh, but that third one, man, it's really, really hard. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's not straight up the end of the game. I believe there's some uh, some further content involving the mysterious Lord of Doors that's going to happen after that, The you know, reap that third giant soul. Um, but I think I'm pretty darn close to the end at about 12 hours. Um, so not a short game necessarily, but not a super long one either. I'd, I'd be surprised if anybody took more than about 20 hours. And this is probably more like a 12 to 15 hour game. Although that puts it a little over our norm. I think it still kind of counts and bird content. So I'm probably, I'm probably playing this a little slowly because I'm playing it in little bursts, uh, right now, like in between calls (laughs) Uh, Hmm. on, uh, you know, in a work day sometimes and stuff. I'm telling. Yeah, don't don't tell anybody. Uh, once you're not really clued in to where things are, it becomes very easy in this game to kind of find yourself running in circles. Because this kind of level design is all about opening up these shortcuts. But you know, if if you if you don't realize what's a lock and what's a key or or where to go back to, I find it very, very easy. You say this is hub and spoke, and I I couldn't tell you what is the hub in this world design. It's so tangled. Mm. Well, I think it's really interesting. Like I, I I was I really like and kind of respect the 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 like layout design, the like uh, world design of this. There's kind of two hubs, sort of. Um, so in the you know in the middle of everything is this world out you know this this. Um, what the world behind the doors, or whatever you want to call it—I forget what, what they call it in the game—the uh, the place where the, the the crows have their office, basically—and a huge part of the game, and that's that's sort of your central hub. It's where you go back to to do upgrades. You know, you go back to the back to the office uh, in order, and you can there you can talk to some of the other crows. There's a uh, kind of a boss crow who is there to help you do things like upgrade your various powers by turning in souls that you've collected and and you know spend those on upgrades to things like your speed. It's got some basic stat upgrade options there. But uh, that's sort of one hub. And as you play, you're unlocking doors there that are a kind of a fast travel to other places in the world. But the game does have a kind of a, even even outside of that central sort of, I would consider that more of a fast travel system than the central hub. Um, the game has a, the, the world has a structure where when you initially fight your way into the, into the game, you're fighting through an area that's sort of like a, a cemetery and then branching off from that cemetery are multiple paths outward. So up from that cemetery, you go up to a, uh, you know, a mountain peak, that's sort of one spot. And there you fight a boss. That's not one of those giant souls, but it's pretty important narratively. And it's also the boss that you, uh, see in a lot of the trailer materials. Cause it looks freaking nuts. That's the one that looks like a sort of walking cathedral. um, we can we can talk about some of the boss designs in a minute, but I, I really, really liked that one and it's it's really good that it was so early in the game. Yeah, that was a very cool one. But spoking out from there, so to speak, are roads that head to those three other big giant souls that you're supposed to kill in order to be able to progress. Okay. And Reagan, can I can I stop you for a second? Because so sometimes when we sit down to uh do a podcast I will fire up the game and just kind of be fooling around with it just to remind myself where I am. And so as you have just been describing this, I have just opened the game and I, I realized why I was stuck on the first soul. And it's the, the dang bomb plant that blows up a wall. And I didn't mm-hmm. realize that the plant, it never happened for me accidentally. And that was how, like, at the entrance to the jungle area. And I have been stuck on that for hours. I have backtracked across the entire game. And, like, literally, as we are recording right now, I have just figured out what it was that got me so stuck. So, well, this is the hazard of playing a game before release because, like, you know, if I got that stuck under normal circumstances there's always the option of googling it right <laughs> and i'm yeah. not ashamed of doing that like i'm a i'm a time interested gamer and so that's a big part of how i play games <laughs> is like if i'm if I'm playing a game that where I've it makes heard it possible you describe yourself so accurately i'm a time interested gamer <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, okay, but like the, the, I if think, I get stuck, I if I get really, truly stuck, I Google things like that's a thing that I do yeah, but when you're absolutely. playing a game before release, like there's nothing on Google for this. It's embargoed. We can't tell we can't even talk about it until, you know, next week. Um, so I'm probably, I'm probably doing something wrong just by talking to you about it. Uh, but uh, it's, it, it's definitely hard when you have these sorts of games that involve puzzles and I would, necess- I, you know, I do consider that a sort of a puzzle, that sort of thing where you have to mm-hmm. hit the bomb plant and then run over near the destructible wall so that it fires its little bomb at the destructible wall. I mean, how how obvious do they have to be for dunces like me? Like, because the the destructible wall was glowing. I've been looking at those. It glows green. And you, you know what? The bombs are green, too. They match. For hours, I've been looking at those, assuming eventually I would have a power up that would let me blow it up. Like the, well, you do. Like the and this is something that, really, that I really dig about this game. Um, so I, I mentioned that it has this sort of hub and spoke design. And a, a huge part of that is unlocking shortcuts. So um, if all of the destructible walls and unlockable gates and everything else were just, you know, automatically crashed down for you, the navigation of this world would be basically three straight lines. From that central point outwards to the boss zones, but there 's tons and tons of these little blockers in your way and um and almost all of that you know getting from you know the the hub to the end of the spoke involves tons of little circuitous goings around and then being able to double back and unlock something so a a uh, you know once you 've played through an area, you can go from one point in that area straight to the end of that area in seconds. And they place, uh, they place these, like, respawn points, the doors, uh, or sort of fast travel points, uh, appropriately. So, like, you can jump into that area. You're jumping in at the beginning of the area. But if you've already cleared it out all the way to the boss, you can jump in there and walk straight to the boss. Whereas if you haven't cleared it out, uh, getting to the boss is going to take you 20, 30 minutes, an hour or more. Um so it's, it's a really clever design. It's the sort of thing that you do see in things like Zelda and other games like it. But um, here, I think it's done really, really well. This sort of like uh, doubling back. It, it reminds me, I'm not a Dark Souls player, but like it reminds me a lot of the discourse around Dark Souls about how people talk so much about like how central things like opening shortcuts are you know this? This feels like an open world, but it's very hemmed in by walls and gates and locks. But finding ways through it and unlocking those things. Yeah, and that way the Hyperlight Drifter analogy is really apt. Yeah, see, in that way, it really is very much similar in the in the world design. Yeah, uh, but the one key difference that I would love to talk about there is Hyperlight Drifter had a crappy map, but it had a map. Mm and this has no map whatsoever and that is that is a big surprise when i came into this game and i was like i groaned when i realized this game didn't have a map and initially i was like oh boy i hope they have a map i hope i unlock one or find one they do listener they do not have a map in this game but the 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 level design i think is really smart and doesn't really need one there are frequent signposts so if you are truly like i don't know where to go next there's these these very visually apparent signposts that look like a kind of a wooden uh, cutout of a raven that you can go look at, and it'll point you in the direction you should be, you know, it'll say, this way to the Urn Witch's Manor, for example. And so, you know, I know I'm going to go try to go kill the Urn Witch while well, I can follow those those markers and find my way there. It has an open-worldiness to it, but it's actually pretty linear. Yeah, but that's not the same as having a map that tells you where to go. Well, Sure. It's definitely not the same as knowing that, like, the next place you should be going is a particular location, like, right? So, you know, unless you're paying very careful attention to the various things the NPCs are saying and telling you, then you're very, cle- very quickly going to get lost, which I guess is, you know, a lot of games. But in this, but in a lot of games, you can look up a log or something that'll tell you, well, you're on your way to the urn, which... That doesn't even this this game doesn't even have that. Like even if you were to go into the menus and inspect all the like collectible items you've found, like you would probably find no hint about what it is that you're you're trying to do next. So so this is a game that needs that kind of story focus? Yeah, there is a character that sort of s- Yeah, that you're talking about the there is a kind of a helper character like a old raven on a mountaintop. Mm-hmm. Right. not so much a helper he really screws you over <laughs> he's the reason that you have yeah. to go kill these giant souls but yeah I, and i i never actually really went back to him you know he he said like hey you need to go kill these three giant souls and come back to me if you don't know where to go next and i never went back because i just you know i know okay like he he does say at the very start he says go kill the urn witch first and she's to the east and so i went off and tried to kill the urn witch and eventually made it through her garden and then her mansion. And it's this massive dungeon. And it's a really, really satisfying one. And finally, finally, uh, you know, killed the boss. And she's a really great boss. And there's some great characters there. She really was. I Oh, she's great. The whole Urnwich section was absolutely great. Oh, it's phenomenal. And and I think we're going to see some memes come out of that. Like, I, I bet you anything that I really wanted to post screenshots of Pothead, her, uh, her nephew, with yeah. the pot for the head. Uh, if I weren't under embargo, I would have been posting tons of screenshots of everything Pothead said. Uh, he, he's awesome. Uh, but like the like that felt great. And when I finished with her. Then I was like, okay, well there's only two more, right? And so I went to one of the others and I got to the you know, got to that area where I was supposed to to go fight that one and I couldn't get any further and I figured, okay, well it must be the other one and I went to the other one and there you go. So I I you know, I understand like getting lost sucks and it you know, there's there's, there's nothing for it, but I will say that like the 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 level design felt really intentional to me and so it was about exploration Like I thought a lot about Hollow Knight playing through this game. Not that it's necessarily quite on that level. Hollow Knight is like SSS rank, you know. And this is just very, very good. But like this, the exploration in this and the unlocking of secret paths, uh, and even a lot of the combat, really had that vibe for me. And and also the world. You know, there's a lot about this game that that that. Although this is a top down rather than side on. Uh, and 3D rather than 2D, I got a lot of Hollow Knight vibes off of this, uh, for lack of a better better word. Uh, and a big part of that was that I was flying without a map. And uh, I don't know if I would have had a better time with this if I had a map. I, th- I think I'm glad that it doesn't have one. The more I, I got did get into the vibes of the game, like when I was cruising in this game, and I didn't feel like I had, and, and I hadn't missed some critical piece of information uh, that made me do a lot of backtracking. Uh, I I was absolutely cruising because the the gameplay itself is really great. I I think mm-hmm. you you rightly tempted me in um, by comparing it to Hyperlight Drifter because it has a very similar like control scheme um, and you, and a very tight way of playing. And I also had some issues with that early on. You know you know about some of these. I had some technical issues with the controls for the game that were throwing me off early on. And I don't really need to get into it. Yeah. And we are, we are playing uh, an early release game. Those, early those issues. Build, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that, that also kind of slowed me down. I, I do think if I hadn't had that, and if I hadn't gotten lost, like I probably would, I could be done with this game because when I was cruising through the levels, it was an absolute treat. Like the, the enemies, uh, the the power up. Uh, I've only now finally unlocked one of the power ups, but I have these two tantalizing slots uh, up in my menu bar. Uh, but I did level get one of the spells and level it up, and uh, super cool, man! It's like really cool combat. Like the bosses in particular are great. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about the specifics of the combat. I mean, it's it's saying that it's a Zelda inspired game. You know, it kind of implies certain stuff about the combat, but more than that. It's sort of an unapologetically difficult top-down combat game. You're very squishy. You have four hit points, and I've been playing the game for twelve hours and have. Uh, it's possible to unlock additional hit points, but it's it's unreasonable. You have to find, I think, four of a particular type of hidden shrine in the world, and I've found three after twelve hours. So. Uh, or maybe two. So um, upgrading your health isn't necessarily expected. You ha- start with four hits and that's it and you probably are meant to play the game with four hits. So it's it's very difficult. you know it's not one hit kill like Titan Souls was, but it's still you know, a high bar. And your tools are also pretty limited. You have uh, you know a sword swipe, uh, and there are a handful of additional weapons that you can unlock, but they are all trade-offs. Uh, you know none of them are like, here is the bigger batter cooler sword. everything is like, well, this hits harder but slower uh, that sort of thing. It's kind of kind of hilarious. i I have only found one additional weapon and that was something I found just as I walked in the door in like the first part of the game and it was a discarded umbrella. It is exactly like the sword, except, it does half as much damage and it's cute. <laughs> the umbrella is very cute though. I haven't found I was I I kind of expected to find an opportunity to make use of that. Like I don't know, maybe there'll be like an acid rain boss or something. But no, it's just cute to carry around an umbrella as the as the crow. It's very clear that this is for, you know, the true hardcore will half their damage by switching to the umbrella and probably get some kind of uh it'll pop up a message at the that's how you get the true Gamer epic. treats. Yeah. <laughs> the uh the, the other, the other big abilities, obviously you you have um you know you have, you have your sword swipe, you have a dodge roll, uh, which does have iframes and is pretty important. Um one one other aspect here is that this is uh one of those games where touching an enemy does not hurt. It is only attacks that hurt. Uh, but the enemies have and the enemies have very predictable attack patterns. so like you can usually see the attacks being telegraphed. often they have like specific patterns they do them in you know this guy uh, swings his sword three times or the little goblin men uh, kind of rear back before they pounce. that kind of thing. So a lot of this is sort of watching the uh, the enemies and trying to predict their movements, um, but that's very hard when they're in groups. Uh, and then of course we didn't mention they have there's also a ranged attack uh, and the ranged attack starts out with a kind of bow and arrow. But you unlock spells. Uh, there are three of them, uh, starting with a fireball and bombs. And I haven't gotten uh, the, th- the third spell yet, um, and, but I think I know what it is. But they're, uh, they are things that you recharge by doing melee damage. So once you uh, get those spells, or also I think this applies to the, the bow and arrow, Um, a lot of the combat has a feel of get in close and get some sword or other weapon swipes in, and then give yourself some distance and fire off some uh, long-range attacks and kind of doing a push-pull with those. Um, I think the combat here feels phenomenal. It's really obvious this is like a combat design from uh, a team that has done one of these before, is trying to refine their design. Titan Souls was balls hard. This is slightly more accessible than Titan souls. It's not one hit kill. The combat feels a little more friendly to me. Uh, there are some fights that I just totally breeze through, but also this is a game where if you get careless or if you're playing when you're tired, uh, you know, getting through an area that has three scrub enemies that you've killed a hundred times before, uh, will sometimes just kill you. And it's because you screwed up. And um, so it, it's definitely a game where there's a you know there's a need for sort of careful attention to enemy behaviors and patterns. You have to be really watching them uh, in order to not get hurt. But if you are really watching them and you know their patterns, you can just avoid getting hurt and do a lot of damage. It's a, it, I think it's a really good combat system. I kind of bounced off of Hyperlight. I've you know talked about that on this show, um, but I, I don't know. I I thought this still sort of this vibed with what I thought people like about that game. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean it it actually is similar in more ways than one. I think I really think if you went back to Hyperlight at some point uh and gave it another shot, you you might find a lot more to like about it than you did the first time around. Um, yeah, it's very funny how this sort of feels like an inversion of that, where like a lot of the complaints you had about the game, like it not having a map um are or, and feeling like you were lost, are exactly the things I had problems with about Hyperlight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you love that game. Yeah, and I think that really speaks to the, the kind of a fundamental issue with the um, kind of action-adventure RPG genre. It's, it's it just a matter you. of like, you know, there are a lot of places that you can be in this game that you could just go to where you're not advancing the game in any meaningful way. Like, you know, the, to contrast this with, or compare it, I guess, with, with like Metroidvania-style games is basically, you know, it, these are games that do want you to loop around and backtrack a lot in a lot of different ways. Um, but different genres have different expectations about how much that information, like, really needs to be telegraphed to you, like where you need to be or where you need to go. You know, and, and you see different... You see the different answers to that question in lots of things. But this one is like, you know, let's, let's just let them wander if they want to wander. And, you know... It's hard for it's hard for you to solve that problem. I think there is a lot that can potentially be lost by putting a blinking arrow on screen, right? You know, if your goal with this game or with a game like uh, like Hollow Knight or what have you is to immerse the player in a sort of a haunting world, right, and let them feel lost or uh, or unsettled by this world that you're building. Uh, then, you know, putting that blinking arrow or putting that pin on a map um, does potentially lose a lot. Um, But if you don't do that thing, then you also potentially lose players who are playing while tired, you know, or Mm -hmm. or just aren't used to the sort of subtle indications of where you're meant to go next that a game like this lays down. But it's also it is it's really just a matter of um, the different designers of these kinds of games use a different visual language to communicate the like the next right thing to do because mm-hmm. you know it's it's going to be some of those that work well for you and some of them that work that don't uh, some that are an instant click and some that take a while to get into it or maybe you need to check a wiki. Uh, honestly, I feel like if I had spent more time talking about this game with you while we were playing it I would have quickly figured out how to get unblocked in a couple of key moments uh but it's just you know that's not how we wound up playing it that's not how most people play it most people don't play most of the games that they play with a core group of uh you know friends and and uh and friend and family for that matter my bro uh mm-hmm. who can tell you why, you know, XYZ isn't working. Most people just quit games. Yeah, it's true. Most people most games don't get finished. Most people don't finish games. Yeah. Uh- Um, And this is the kind of game where I could see a lot of people booting this up, really enjoying it up to, you know, maybe even not even finding the Urn Witch, you know, not getting to that first boss or, uh, and, and, you know, bouncing off of it. And I think that would be a shame because this is, I think, a really, really well-designed game. The, the more of it I played, the more respect I had for the, uh, really careful level design, uh, yeah. And and it and you mentioned sort of the nonverbal communication of like where to go next. This game has a sort of a visual language of that. And it's not like, you know, it's not like earth shattering or whatever. You know, sometimes there's literally signs that say, go this direction. But But sometimes what it is, is there's a locked door that looks mysterious. How do I get past that locked door? If you look past that locked door, you can see there's two or three entrances to the room that's past that door. How do I get to any of those entrances? Maybe the room I'm standing in has two or three exits that I haven't tried yet. And just trying those paths, exploring those spaces, and seeing how they all connect to each other. That's really cool. So uh, we've talked about the, the sort of vibes and the world and the level design. And um, I think the one thing that we that I really want to talk, I, I wish I could talk about all of the bosses with you, but you haven't hit them all and also there's going is a brand new game this would be spoilers for a lot of folks i think probably we should just talk about the first couple um we already talked about the sort of i don't even know i'm sure it has a name everything in this game does but i i, I don't know the name of the sort of walking gothic cathedral that you fight early on um but okay, cool. uh, but i do want to talk at least about the first boss uh the urn witch she is so creepy i loved her she was great uh absolutely a great character but the in even better than setting her up as a character is just the way they set up the world around her because you start wandering on your way over to her manor and i forget what area is the first one you get to i think it's the garden outside yeah she has a sort of an ornate garden that's sort of like overgrown and died full of pots urns more specifically pots and urns And uh, one of the strange things about those urns is when you smash them, they reform themselves. They kind of uh, reassemble and come back together magically. And you also see Pothead for the first time, who is like a, how would you describe him? He's basically like a knight. So you start to see a lot of um, statues and all the statues have like teapots or urns or something like that for their heads and for that matter, so do all of the enemies in uh, in this whole area. And then you meet the first one that talks to you uh, is just named Pothead. And he is like a mournful knight is how I kind of had a read on his character. With a pot you think for a head. With, with a big pot full of soup on his head. Yeah. I love that it, one, of, one of his uh, initial lines is... Uh, Judge me not by my pot for a head, but for the delicious soup that it contains. He wants to be judged for his soup. There's every single one of the characters in this does have motivations. They are silly. This is a little bit of a cartoonish game, Um, but they are also all living in this sort of like mournful post-death world. And uh, the backstory for the Urn Witch uh, that we learn as part of her sort of dungeon is that she uh believed she could extend her own life and the life of her family uh by turning people into urns you know putting their souls into urns and she did that uh the pothead was a, a bit of a failure he turned into a pot rather than an urn um but th- all of her uh, all of her minions are little urn based creatures and so on um and she's wearing like an urn on her head. Her character design is great. She's just this absolutely massive like pile of an old lady. Um I I know that saying something has Ghibli vibes is uh something that people are l- like literally making fun of on Twitter right now because it's something that gets so massively uh applied but she reminded me a lot of some of the more grotesque uh Ghibli well, old ladies. To me she was absolutely she's not she's not just generic ghibli vibes she is yubaba from spirited away but with a pot for a, for her hair so yeah and she's like and, exactly that and one thing i love about the uh, her um her dungeon and this comes up with some of the other later bosses as well is that you know you're you're progressing through first her garden and then her manor and as you do that you get lots of scenes where like you go in and complete some objective. And when you come out of the room that you were doing that in, she's just standing there and, Mm -hmm. you know, she threatens you or, or asks you questions says you know, what are you doing here? Little crow. Um, and the fact that she's just sort of there, it's creepy. She's like legitimately creepy. Um, and that happens with other bosses as well. And it's always just sort of like this, this like, off moment where they're like Mm -hmm. watching you going through their little dungeon. Um, I I thought she was just great. If you don't want to put up with her taunting you uh, and you hit her, she just sort of spins around and and disappears. Um, So she's kind of this ghostly presence who's like there and gone. And, uh, you know, the way she spins is just like the way these like robed wizard enemies uh, use like a teleport. So I don't know. It's pretty cool. She's, uh, it's good for kind of almost like a horror vibe. Like this isn't a horror game, but like when you're doing horror with like a, a a good villain, you want to have them around and kind of taunting, Mm -hmm. uh, the main characters. And you know, the, the other thing about it is like, yes, she's like the villain of her zone of the game, but, um, with every, every quote unquote giant soul that you reap, uh, there's this sort of, uh, mysterious grave digger. Uh, who also cannot die? You know, he's one of the first people you meet who explains that that you know not only can he cannot die, but like no one can in this world anymore. Um, and he asks you to reap his soul, and you try, and he's unkillable. Um, but he shows up after each of these uh, these boss fights, and you have a funeral uh, for these characters, and uh, there it's a little silly, but it, it has this feeling of like you're coming in to end. A world that has gone on too long you know like the these characters they had their time you know maybe the urn witches quest to uh to bring around bring about immortal life by turning people into pots uh you know came from a good place she loved her family she wanted them to to stick around that kind of thing you know nothing wrong with that she might have been a really nice person 500 years ago or whatever uh, but it's just gone on too long and it, I, I don't know it, it's i think the the world has just like absolutely great vibes all of the bosses have great vibes um i'm pretty angry at the one i'm currently fighting but i won't get into that right now uh and uh, the sort of mysterious uh, boss the uh the uh the lord of doors i can't wait to find out more about them you you do get some really neat Backstory in one of the dungeons about the previous Lords of Doors, getting a sense of like how this strange system came about and how it's been maintain- maintained over the centuries and how it's begun to fall apart. Um, but I don't know, it, it has this game isn't like entirely serious, it is, a, but it is still an interesting fantasy world. So, I, I think if you're looking for a game that has you know, has lore. This game has it, and uh, you know, I'm sure I haven't even scratched the surface. I bet you that you know, two weeks after this game is out, there's going to be a great wiki for me to read. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's if you're if you're going in hoping for something with like cool and slightly off or creepy vibes, like this has that in spades. And I think that's pretty much all we have to say about Death's Door for now. I'm really looking forward to finishing it. I think I'm just about there at about 12 hours. Um, And I, uh, I I really, really been enjoying it. So I definitely give it a recommendation. If you're looking for something about this length, Uh, just to reiterate, the game is on PC. I believe it's, it's on steam and I believe it might be on other PC platforms as well. And it's coming to the Xbox consoles, both the Xbox one and the series consoles. Um, we both played on PC. I played with a controller. You can also play with mouse and keyboard. Uh, and uh, it is, I believe, 20 bucks. It's uh, Devolver Digital uh, published this one. And I uh, really dug it. Do we have some time for a what's making us happy this week? Yeah, we got time. Yeah, uh, I can quickly recommend the Fear Street movies on Netflix. Uh, you know, my wife is a huge fan. Uh, horror movie buff, and we watch pretty much any new horror movies that come out, or at least she does. But I really enjoyed watching the Fear Street movies uh, with her over the last uh, three weeks. And I think it's actually a really cool idea, the way that Netflix rolled these things out. Shane, have you seen any of those? What is Fear Street? So, Shane, do you remember R.L. Stein, the the writer of the Goosebumps books? He had this sort of like slightly, uh, of uh, slightly older kid targeted series called fear street uh okay that kind of rings a bell uh so it's based on that apparently i never read any of those books i definitely read some goosebumps i was in that uh demographic uh, i know we both did um but these movies are they, they did a three movie like a trilogy of movies based on the fear street books and they did it they they filmed them all at once And they released them all on Netflix one after another over a series of three weeks, which I thought was a really, really smart idea because it felt a little bit like tuning in for a TV show. But like each episode was a full movie and um, they're all three tied together into a single story, but they were uh, spaced out across multiple years. So the first one was like Beer Street 1994. And then the one before that was like 1970 something. The first one takes place in like 1994. It's got a kind of a, um, a kind of a, you know, obviously it's like 90s throwback vibe, uh, but it kind of crosses like standard horror movie stuff, a little higher gore than you would expect, but also a little more sort of like, uh, I mean, because it is based on like YA stuff, it has that sort of feeling of like a, you know, bunch of kids, uh, go into the mall, get attacked by a guy in a skeleton outfit, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, it has, you know, this behind it this sort of creepy story of this evil witch that's be, you know that's that's uh, been haunting this town for generations. And the next movie, uh flashes back. About one generation to the 1970s, but it ties very much into the things that happened in the first movie. So you you know you see some moments from the first movie uh, in that previous one, uh, the 1970s one, and then it goes all the way back to 1666 to when that witch was alive, and she's the main character of that. Third movie, um, but it all ties together. So, like at the very end of that third movie, it flashes back to the characters from the first movie, and you see that whole story conclude. Um, it's a, I think it's a really, really smart approach from Netflix. Filming these things essentially, like essentially like a series of uh, like, basically like a big uh, season of a TV show, but rather than dropping it all at once, they split it into three films, each of which has its own structure that feels like a movie, uh, but it they're all interlinked uh, and it was really good. Uh, it's like, you know, it's a little bit YA, but it's also really gory at times, kind of surprisingly. So um, some pretty decent scares overall. I thought the story was a little predictable, but like fun, um, I don't know. I had a great time with it. And I, uh, you know, I, I I, don't always with like Netflix produced movies in particular. Um, and I don't know that they, they don't have an amazing track record for me lately, and particularly not horror stuff. But like, this was pretty fun. Uh, I I really like the first and third ones. The middle one was a little bit less engaging, but like it's all part of a whole. So I don't know. I would definitely recommend those to folks if you haven't watched them. I know Netflix is shoving them in everybody's faces right now. So, you know, if you have Netflix, you've probably already seen. Somehow I managed not to hear about them and that I'm, you know, that's a good recommendation. So, yeah, yeah. I I need a, I need some good horror movies or something, something to keep me occupied on the plane because I am going to, I guess cheat this time. And I'm going to reuse the, the exact same thing that was making me happy on our last episode, which was a little, little closer to this one because of the way things are scheduled. But the thing I'm very excited about is going on vacation. And uh, so I guess I'll just say, God, I'm jealous. It's really exciting. Me is collecting stuff to bring with me as like entertainment, uh, beach reads and stuff. So, I guess I'll just also say to all of our listeners if you have a recommendation for fun beach reading or a game that I can play on my phone, switch, uh, phone or switch, really, I'll just say that, to, just to leave it to that. This is going to be a good week for me to just chill beachside, maybe spend an hour or two on a plane, some time in hotel rooms, just maybe going outside for some fun activities. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to read a book or two while, uh, chilling out on the beach. So man, there is nothing, nothing better than sitting on a beach and reading a book. Uh, don't bring your switch on the beach, Shane. That would be silly, but like no, no, definitely. No. Oh God, I, I'm very, very jealous. That's, that's enjoy. I wish I had gotten your, your recommendation for Chainsaw Man just before this, but cause I've now finished Chainsaw Man, but that would have mm. been the thing for me to read if the listeners don't know what chainsaw man is it is a uh, manga that'll soon be turned into a anime about a guy who can uh turn into chainsaws with chainsaws on his hands and face it's better than it sounds it's really good it absolutely is well okay we've got some recommendations shane's about to jet off to a super cool vacation that i'm jealous of Uh, listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of the short game. Uh, you can find us on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find all of our information, a contact form, a link to our Patreon, patreon.com slash the short game, uh, and all of the other stuff. Uh, if you are a patron, uh, then you're getting this episode a little bit early. In fact, we've been doing a, a, a pretty good job of getting episodes to patrons Uh, between one and four days early uh, lately. And so if that's something that appeals to you, please join our Patreon. Every patron and even just a dollar a month gets that benefit, as well as uh, access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the show. So if you're thinking about playing Death's Door and you don't want to get stuck like Shane, uh, then you can... Join up there and I am happy to, uh, Sherpa people because I will probably be done with that game by the time you're hearing this episode. Uh, so, uh, join us on the discord there. Every patron at a dollar a month or more gets into our discord and we can chat about the games we're playing. That's also where we plan episodes of the show. Um, join us there. Uh, you can also find me on the internet or on Twitter specifically at Reagan K that's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Shane, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, uh, a little bit less these days on Twitter, but still at 8BitShane. And one thing uh, I will say also for the Discord is you didn't mention we've been doing uh, a lot of stuff like polling the members of the Discord to find out how to prioritize our backlog of games. So it's not just about recommending us games. It's about helping us figure out like, hey, what can fit where in the schedule um, and people advocating for like the stuff that they want uh, to hear or to play with us. So I, I really think it's very, very cool. Uh, we have such a cool little Discord community. So uh, shout out to the Discord. Yes, thanks to all of our patrons and listeners alike. And uh, thank you for listening to this episode of The Short Game.